So you want to work. So when you curl, you keep pulling all the way in, um, and you keep pulling in, and you keep pulling in, and you keep pulling in. Huh. So with a bicep curl, you just keep pulling up, 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 and up. Where what most people do is come to here, flex, and then if they go any further up, they'll actually m- move the elbow. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff. I'm Scott McNally, and I'm here with your favorite host at the Think Big Podcasts, Christmas Cabbage. Welcome back to your show, Christmas Cabbage. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings. For our Canadian people, we're also brought to you by supplementsource.ca. We're also brought to you by you, the awesome people on Patreon. Thank you guys for helping to support the programming. Uh, Dave Crossland is out of heat right now. So he's, <laughs> I like this, Scott, Scott Stevenson's with us. He had said uh, before the show, he says, um, you guys are in stealth mode with the dark clothing. Did you just like rob a place, Dave? Is that what really happened here? No, I am cold. Well, hopefully Dave can get the heater it, fixed. It, it's cold here in Yorkshire. Um, we had a lot of snow the last couple of days as well. I saw your pictures. Um, mm. Yeah. We have, uh, we've got a bunch of stuff today. We've got a topic, uh, which is going to our, our big blowout topic of the day is how to grow uh, tremendous. Like how how would it how would it look on a magazine cover? Bigger pythons, crazy guns, you know something. Big guns, yeah. Big the guns. Secret to big guns. Yes, yeah. the secret to big guns, Dave. What? So we're gonna get into that. We've got a bunch of questions. Like I said too, we got awesome feedback on the last episode. So thank you guys for that. We appreciate it. Uh, and of course, all the comments you guys do, all that stuff helps to boost us up in the algorithm. I wanted to ask you this, Dave. Um, question for the next podcast. Uh, and I'm going to jump straight down to a second one because he had a few that he had posted, I believe. Uh, in which situation would you prefer NPP over DECA? Probably mainly when I want to be able to regulate how quick it clears my system. Mm. Um, I don't, I know some people do report big differences between MPP and DECA. I've personally not seen a huge difference between the two. Yeah. Uh, but, um, definitely obviously MPP's clearance rate is, is useful if you're wanting to get it out and done quickly after you finish your cycle. So that, that would be really where I'd be looking at mate. I have done a DECA base with MPP over the top, and I found that actually more. The thing is, there's so many factors that come into training and the results from the cycle. Yeah. So it, it really is difficult to say, well, I did this and, and, and that was a better cycle. But I must admit, when I did do it that way, it did seem to work better. Huh. Okay. Uh, and there's no pharmacological reason for it I can think of. There's there's nothing behind that where I can say, you know what, it's because this does this or this does that. I can't think of any reason why it particularly would. Obviously, with MPP, you're going to get a greater peak of actual compound per, per milligram than you are with, with an and- the DECA, right. normal DECA, just because, it the, uh, you know, 100 milligrams per 100 milligrams is going to hold more steroid. Although I don't think it's much. I, I think what, the, the, ester, the ester weight is lighter. No, it's not a huge amount, but yeah, I mean, I, you're not I, talking. And I think it's, it. if I recall, uh, NPP is one of the few where the, it's not a huge, huge difference. Like the difference between like probe and uh, test C is greater than the difference between yes. you know, NPP yeah. and DECA, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's less than 5%. Um, but okay. Apart from that, there is really nothing. You know, I mean, it's still the same compound. It, yeah. it, it's just it's, it's half life that alters. But I must admit, having run Decker only and running MPP only, when I combined at a baseline of Decker with MPP on the top, it, it did seem to have a greater impact. But that could have just been down to training being more efficient at the time, diet being more efficient at the time. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily drug related. Um, but yeah, I did, I did find for some reason the two together worked well. Huh. I could, I could see that. 
So NPP is known as being a drier compound overall. Which, which doesn't make sense, though, does it? I mean, really. How's that? Well, it's the same drug. Yeah. And I never found Decker a wet compound anyway. I've always really? found that if you, kept your, if you kept your diet right, yeah, you were fine. I, I found Decker will punish you with shitty diet, but it wouldn't <laughs> punish you if you were clean. The thing is, we tend to use Decker. Decker is generally a choice of drug when you're bulking. It's generally a choice of drug when you, you're deep off season. Um, and as a result, people tend to be a little bit more eat anything and everything rather than stick to it. Whereas this is true, though my phys- my physique probably never reflected it. My off season food intake was always comp prep clean. Um, I just ate fucking lots of it. Yeah, but I mean, it was boiled rice, boiled chicken, boiled beef. Um, everything was slow cooked, so the fat was skimmed off. Huh. Um, and it was, and I was never a junk food eater when I was bulking. Uh, in fact, I didn't like it. So it used to trash my appetite. It used to fuck me up. You know what I notice in general, Dave, is I feel like a fast-acting compound kind of hits harder, and I feel like there's almost, to me, better results than... There, there, there is. There is. I've, I've seen a lot of people report, and I, I've seen it myself, that fast-acting compounds in general seem to have less water sides. Yeah. Um, which sort of, in a way, I don't know, doesn't seem to make sense. Maybe maybe Scott can throw a bit more light on this, but uh, I, I've always struggled to see why that would be from a pharmacological point of view. Hmm. I mean, obviously, it clears your system faster. I get that. But it also creates a higher peak. Yeah. And from my experience, the higher you peak your levels, the more you'll step into accelerated conversions Ooh, so scott has some science for us go on then he says uh so the phenyl equals six carbons propanate equals three carbons so about nine carbons deca is 10 carbons pretty damn close in terms of molecular weight but lipolytically very different different thus the different half-lives that's far too complex for a tuesday so he's saying that the no, um, I get what he's saying. Yeah, the, actual, okay. the actual ester weight is very similar, but it, it's it's how it it, um, it works so different. Yeah, I feel like people are less likely to suffer side effects from NPP. I could be wrong about that. Uh, it's not a steroid that I use a, a ton, but I almost feel like you hear more complaints about Deca. But maybe it's just because Deca is more popular. Yeah, well, I don't really see Decker as causing... See... You hear about the libido side... stuff. Yeah, but then side effects are really down to mismanagement of the drugs you're taking to a large extent. Sure. I, I just think I that mean, maybe you, there's more you get mismanagement. You sites from tests because you don't manage your estrogen. You know, you get sexual issues with DECA or prolactin size generally be first usually primarily because you don't manage your estrogen yeah. um, and then secondly due to that you don't manage your prolactin yeah um i think it's just we are much more experienced with managing certain drugs and therefore much more accepting of those sides and what we need to do to control them than we are of other drugs i'd, I'd, um, I'd agree with that um, and so other drugs get reputations, which probably aren't actually really that founded. It, it's more just a case of with less experience, um, you know, in, in dealing with them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But that said, I do feel like you hear, I've, and maybe it's just a popularity thing. Maybe you hear more about DECA side effects because more people use DECA than MPP. Yeah, possibly, mate. <laughs> Possibly. Dave's trying to act like uh, he's talking to me, but he's really texting right now. He's I like, am texting, but I, like, I am also... Oh, I'm really interested in what you're saying, Scott. This is No, I was answering the question, but also dealing with something that needed an immediate response. Is it your heater? My heater is now on underneath my... 
My wife has brought down a portable heater. That was very nice of her. Warming, warming my tussies. Yes. <laughs> that was it very is. nice of her. I, I thought maybe it was your guy coming out to fix things. No, it wasn't. James. <laughs> do, you, do you know what 8 Mile is, Dave? Yeah, of course I know what 8 Mile is. I'm not <laughs> that fucking... Jesus. Scott, do you, you know, do you think that... So someone, someone... Well, who was it now that said to me the other week? Did I know what the Avengers were? Like the Avengers film only played in a fucking America. <laughs> no, yeah, it was an international film. Well, I don't know these things. See, listen, because I, I, the term Eight Mile, all my life has just been a road that's three miles away from me. <laughs> it's like I don't know how many other people know about Eight Mile or how popular the movie was. So, but but I we got to comment. I think James. I says, think the movie. But its genre was probably one of the most popular ever. Dave looks like something straight out of Eight Mile. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Gonna be a bad influence on that cabbage, I'll tell you. All right, all right. Let's move to the the guns question, and not those kind of guns, Dave. Yeah, I was saying that this is where mile. Scott usually pulls out one of his fucking guns. <laughs> so we did get a question, um, and I gotta I gotta dig up. One of your pictures, because you did have some freaking wicked arms, man. And you still do. I'm not going to ask you to pull the hoodie off. I know you're cold. Uh, but your guns have not really gone. They're like my calves. They just stayed. Uh, well, they've gone in that they've probably lost four or five inch, but they're still over 20 inch, if that's what you mean. Yes. Yeah, that's like several meals. If we needed to kill Dave in order to survive... We could eat one of Dave's biceps, all of us watching the podcast, and then keep the other bicep for tomorrow. Uh, so anyway, question is, uh, Dave's got a old slash gold pick of him in a front double by in a dark tank top with something like 24 inch plus arms. And it got me wondering, can he share a few ideas for a crazy arm workout? I'd love to mix things up in my routine and try something new. Cheers, lads. Love the shows. It says cheers. Cheers. So, mate. I think the biggest mistake that people make about arms is that they don't focus on actual the arm. Hmm. They, they, the people, the amount of people you see going far too heavy. Um, for me, you want to develop big guns or big tries. It's very much about the form and the rep, more than the weight. Um, weight obviously comes into it at a point, but uh, and what I found personally was that my biceps responded to very strict work um, and not overly heavy, whereas my triceps responded to strict but heavy work. Okay. So, like, I would reverse grip bench. 200 kilo reverse grip bench yeah. reverse grip bench so you go wide grip palms facing back towards you very big try movement for a compound movement for tries okay 400 kilo um 200 kilo 200 kilo okay i was doing sorry i was trying to do the, the math there so that's like 450 okay four and a half plates Holy shit. Um, and I used to do very heavy pushdowns, but they were strict. They were always controlled. But I found, and when you look at my arms proportionally, my tries were substantially bigger than my biceps. I found the pick. I found the pick. Let's see. You can see from that pick. You can see the size of the try sitting underneath. Oh, yeah. You had good peaks, though. Yeah, and that to me is down to range of movement. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously... There is a genetic element to muscle shape and muscle structure. Yeah. But I've always, one of the two things that I, I feel are very key, well, three things actually that I feel are very key to bicep training. One is range of motion. And two is grip. And three is not contracting at the top of the range. Okay. So... When people do a bicep curl, what they tend to do is they'll come up, they'll get to about here yeah. in the camera shot, and then they'll flex. But a flex has never grown a muscle in its fucking life. So you want to work. So when you curl, you keep pulling all the way in 
Oh. And you keep pulling in, and you keep pulling in, and you keep pulling in. Huh. So with a bicep curl, you just keep pulling up, 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 and up. Where what most people do is come to here, flex, and then if they go any further up, they'll actually m- move the elbow. Yes. Where what you need to do is keep the elbow still and just keep pulling that bicep into the delt, ah. pulling the hand into the delt. And that will lengthen the range over which your bicep activates. The other thing is that when you extend, you yeah. fully extend. If you can't contract your tricep, you're not fully extended. Hmm. And it might only be half an inch at the bottom of the range, but that half an inch will make a world of difference. That's um, what she said. Yeah, I agree. That is what she said. Uh, or in your case, what he said. And then... as What happens then, because you're working over a much greater range of motion, you activate much more muscle fiber. But you also stop the muscle fibers at the either, either end of the bicep from starting to tighten up. Yeah. In term, you can't lengthen a bicep, but you can lengthen the active range of muscle. Yeah. Um, that that way, when you connect, you get a better peak. Hmm. I like that. If you look at peak, what is regarded as peak movements, like concentration curls. Yeah. They focus on a fully straight arm at the bottom. Huh. And a fully contracted arm at the top because you work in the muscle over the greatest range. You activify the greatest range of fibers. Therefore, when you contract, you get a bigger peak. How so, much How much of your workout would have been dedicated to arms each week? I used to do arms twice a week, eight sets on buys, 10 to 12 on tries. That was okay. It. Twice each time two. or total per week? Yeah. No, each time. Two, two exercises on biceps. One would be five, six sets, and then the second exercise would probably just be two or three sets of high rep work. Okay. And then uh, triceps would be two full exercises with a full set of like six sets in each. Okay. Um, The other thing is fingers. Yeah? Yeah. So. Look at the size of Dave's wrist. It's like an elephant wrist. Yeah, I've got very small palms, very short, sorry, big palms, but short fingers and thick joints. You've got a thick wrist. Like, you're one of those guys that could slip out of handcuffs, I bet. No, but they struggle to get them on. (laughs) Um, I don't know why I know that. Um, (laughs) So when you you train, everything is, is is a hinge and a lever. So your bicep works through your elbow hinge, and the lever is your forearm. So that, that's what the bicep does. It does that. It does nothing else. That's all it does. This, unfortunately, is another lever. Another yeah. hinge. Creates a secondary lever. The further into your hand you have the dumbbell, as in the lower down in your hand you have the dumbbell, Yeah. the more low from the dumbbell or, or the bar will deflect into the forearm and away from the bicep. I could see that. The further you have the dumbbell up towards the back of your hand, the more of the load will divert into the bicep away from the forearm. Huh. So grip your bars deep, back, wrap round. Grip with that finger to work that head. Grip with that finger to work that head. Hmm. You know, I've I've actually, when I've had tennis elbow, to preserve my elbows, I've used lifting straps on a lot of extra exercises. And I've noticed that that takes a lot of the pressure off of the forearm when you have them strapped up. But I never thought about how you're actually probably putting a little bit more of that effort into the bicep then. Yeah, because what happens is the, the, the further the, the load is down into your hand, the longer this lever of your hand becomes, and then the more yeah. this hinge comes into play. The closer to that hinge you are, the less this lever has any impact, and huh. so the less of the load is diverted. Never even thought so of the that. Close, the closest you are to that pivot point there, yeah. the more you're putting to your bicep of the load you're using. Huh. That makes total sense. But it's it's it is it's like triceps. The amount of people you see leaning in on a tricep push down. Yeah. But that's that's your body weight moving away. Lean back. Yeah, I can see. Pin that. your elbows to one place, come all the way up to the top. You know, your hands should be right up here and then all the way down. And it's not it's not a, a linear push down. You see a lot of people when they push down, the bar stays the same distance away from the body throughout the whole rep. Uh huh. But actually, if you're following the hinge, it should be a big arc. Yeah. It should be a massive radius. Huh. So you want to make sure that when you're curling or you're doing a pushdown, 
that your hand is moving in half a circle and it's moving in a semicircle. So not you, in a straight line to your body. You actually know some stuff about training. You like more. I didn't realize that. I, I thought you only knew about I, steroids and and that was it. In truth, I would say I have more training knowledge than I have drug knowledge. I'm I'm messing with you. I know you do. And when we get on training talk, you get like right now, this is cool, man. I can tell that you're you're sharing some good stuff. Oh, I, and I didn't know that. I never knew that about the, the hand placement thing with the curl. I never thought about that in my life. But it makes total sense. The other thing is you'll see on triceps is you see people do that. Okay. Which shortens the lever. So, therefore, lessens the load in the tri. So, you keep everything straight. Yeah. And when you push, you, what you're focusing is, is pushing. That's it sounds. But you focus on pushing through the hand. Okay. So what you want to focus in is on, on the, you, everything's going through the hand. And then when you do a negative, you really want to make sure that you're loading the tricep and you're feeling it. Yes. And your negatives are fantastic for setting up your movement. So you use your negative to feel the muscle you're working. Yes. You then focus on the, what you're feeling, and then you use that feeling to do the positive part of the motion. Yeah. I like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my, my tries were, were – I mean, I was actually – so I trained Zach. We did arms last week. Uh, not that Zach needs any bigger arms. They are fucking enormous. Zach Khan, right? And it, yeah, and he's got some of the biggest forearms I've ever seen on a human being. I mean, they are huge. But his training partner really struggles with arms, so he said, can we do arms one week? So I said, okay. And uh, so we'd done, we did a couple of movements. We finished on a machine tricep dip. Uh, and granted, don't get me wrong, Zach, I'd already done his biceps, he'd already done his triceps. Now, I haven't trained my arms in five years. I've not touched them in five years. Okay. And I went on to the heaviest weight he used on a tricep press, on a dip. Uh, and actually was quite surprised I could still move it because I didn't think I'd be able to. So I still I still hold some decent tricep strength, but my bicep strength is garbage. Yeah. But then it was it was – the weird thing was I was never super strong with bicep curls anyway. But I, my favorite movement used to be single arm preacher dumbbell curls. Hmm. Single but I'd arm. sit really preacher okay. dumbbells. Yeah. But I'd sit really low so that the pad, the arm was right up in my armpit, and I was quite down. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't do any levering, and I just went from full extension all the way up and back down again, and, huh. and that was literally it. And basically, that's all you need to do to work a bicep is that. So you don't need anything else. Yeah, so we're talking, you know, how to how to build incredible arms. If somebody wanted to like listen to everything you're saying right now, what what would you suggest? Are you talking maybe a couple different exercises for buys, couple for tries, twice a week, eight sets each time for each muscle group? I would say for biceps, I, I would look for a a single arm movement. Okay. I don't think you can go much wrong or do much better than that single arm preacher dumbbell. Okay. Over a very strict, full controlled range. So making sure you fully extend at the bottom and you fully contract at the top. You will find that initially you'll get some stressing here on your forearm. That will go. But initially what's happening is the head of the, the, the attachment end of the bicep is tight. Mm. And so it's pushing load into the forearm. But as that bicep starts to open up and release, you'll find it hits the arm much more. And then I'd finish that off with some form of either cable, barbell, straight bar, EZ bar, cool. Uh, and I would just literally, you'd be aiming to fail somewhere between 10 and 12, 15 reps. Okay. And I'd just, just do three sets to failure, but at a higher rep range. But again, really focusing on form. And that's for biceps, right? Yep. Triceps, I would do a compound and I'd do an isolation. So I'd probably do something like... Uh, EZ or straight bar push down and and then follow that into either a, a tricep dip or a reverse grip bench or some or, or something of that. School crushes I really like and they're a great exercise and I used to go quite heavy on school crushes. I'd, 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 um, I've touched 100 kilos on school crushes. Hmm. But they used to play havoc with my elbows as well so they were something that I, I could only visit periodically. Hmm. Um, I like, I, we were but, just talking about this on another show. Do you ever do those, um, like a, a single or unilateral dumbbell, uh, skull crusher, 
like laying on an incline bench maybe where you bring both arms back at once? I find them better off the floor, but yes. Oh, um, yeah, those are good off the floor. So what you do is you do them in a hammer position. You lay on your back. You let the dumbbells touch the floor. And wherever your elbows are at that point, that's where your elbows stay. Yeah, okay. And then you then you just extend. The key here, and the key with all tricep stuff actually, is what you don't what you want is you want to try and keep your hand in line with your elbow. Huh. You don't want that flare. Yeah. So when you do a push down, you don't want flare, you want your elbows tucked in. When you do the hammer, like we were just talking about, you want to try and keep your elbows tucked in straight as much as you can. I like that. Um, what I used to use was bands. Put a put a band across. Really? Put your elbows in. And you'll find if you get someone so if you're doing if you're doing push downs um with a training partner, get your training partner to stand behind you and just push your elbows into your sides. Huh. And see how much more that hits the tricep. Okay. You'll be like, what the fuck? You'll also find it a lot weaker as well. But then I was always trying one of the things I used to try and do with movements was make them harder rather than make them easier. Sure. Sure. So rather than finding ways to push more load, I find ways to make the load I'm using harder. Yeah. Which ultimately meant more muscle stimulation and ultimately meant more strength long term. I can see that. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm going to take a brief moment to shout out our sponsors. I'll make it quick, but this stuff's super important because it's our sponsors that help to make this show possible. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. And if it wasn't for you shopping with our sponsors, we wouldn't be here either. You can support our programming by shopping with truenutrition.com. They're our title sponsor. They've supported us for a number of years. They have awesome health and performance supplements. You can ask Skip or Dusty or Scott Stevenson all about True Nutrition and they'll tell you how good of a company they are. Hardcore bodybuilders have trusted them for over 15 years now. Use our code THINK, you'll get some savings, you'll support our programming. If you're in Canada, you can shop with supplementsource.ca. They have highly discounted supplements, discounts on bulk orders, and free shipping over $99. Check them out. And finally, you can directly support our programming on Patreon. I'll have links below for Patreon and everything else. We're taking more questions over there, and I appreciate everybody who's already helping to directly support our programming through our Patreon. All right, guys, thanks for hanging with me. Let's get back to the show. All right, listen, why don't we get into some listener questions here? Because we did, we got a lot. You guys loaded us up on listener questions this week. I'll just grab the first thing I see here. Um, oh, this is from Scylla. He's uh, one of our longtime listeners. He says, um, kicking ass again with Mr. Yorkshire Massive. I like that. <laughs> um, I have a question for the next one. Um, what will be the best option with AI to control Astro on A-bombs? Love your work, gents. Thanks. There's not an estrogen problem with um, oxys. Okay. They are um, slightly progestenic, but they're not estrogenic. And Novadex actually does have a slight impact on the progesterone receptor. Okay. Um, so oxymethylone acts very slightly like a progestin, which so does Trembolone and so does Deca, uh, in that they do stimulate and attach to the progesterone receptor. So Tren has a ratio of one to one, so it's equally as stimulating as, as progesterone is to the receptor. Deca, I think, is about 20-25%. I'm not sure on, on oxys, if I'm honest, but they're not estrogenic. So the only thing I would look at for an oxy, if you wanted to run anything, would be Novadex to, to block the progesterone receptor to some extent. What about keeping, I mean, you're probably going to be on test too. So it, it, I guess you're thinking if you're going to need an AI, it would be for the test. You're going to want to keep that. Mm -hmm estrogen controlled you're probably going to be mm -hmm. like you kind of mentioned earlier you're going to have probably be less likely to have issues with progesterone if you were to manage your test to begin with right yeah there is a question from M michelle Mikel, Miguel, Mikel, 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 yes. i'd like to cover as well in a minute okay um yeah i mean you know obviously your test base is going to be where your estrogen is coming from but i wouldn't worry about estrogen from oxys okay I know oxys have a reputation for holding water, um, and that is, is is through their stimulation with, with progesterone rather than with estrogen. Okay. Let's see here. Well, that's a long one. I'll try to come back to that. I don't, I don't have the ability to read really long questions right now. Paz has a question for us. 
Um, responded very good to 500 milligrams of testy and 50 milligrams of T-ball every day. But I did not respond that good in terms of growth to 400 testy and 400 NPP. Did not have any sides, uh, just a tiny bit of acne. Uh, will it be favorable to stick with the testosterone family tree? Say, test and EQ, for example. So he's wondering if he's not a good responder to NPP because he didn't have a great experience on that cycle, I think. The, 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 the problem with all this is that we don't know if the quality of drugs is there. Mm, yeah. And, and so you may have bought from a reputable source. It may be a reputable band. Everybody has an off day. Um, and, and there are batches that slip through that are shit quality. It just happens. It's one of those things. It fucking hell, it happens in mainline production. Yeah. You know, so what you think is not going to happen in black market production. Um, so that could be why he didn't get much out of the MPP cycle. Um, as we discussed earlier with the MPP Decker question, there are so many factors that come into play when it comes to a cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, if he wants to go test EQ, go test EQ at the end of the day. The, the, the thing is, with you, you know, we can learn the basics of what these compounds do. Um, we can learn that EQ has an affinity to increasing um, hemoglobin. We can learn that test converts to estrogen. We can learn the side effects and the impacts of trend. But the only way you're really going to know what that drug is like for you is to use it. Yeah. Yeah, that is it's true. That it's that personal experience of to how well you tolerate what that drug does or yeah. don't, as the case may be. So do your homework and how the compounds work. Do your homework on the side effects of the compounds so you're ready to manage them. And then literally, really then it's down to a case of just doing it. Yeah, and I and I think you make a huge point there. What I've always kind of said on the show here with with you is that like you you have to experiment at first to see what works good for you, and then when you find those things, those are the things that you lean into. Like for me, Aquapoise yeah. was a great one, and I was like, okay, so let's lean into that. You don't need to like continue exploring and discovering other shit. That like you know when you find the things that work, the that's what you do. Let them work. Yes. All right. I do see that question from Mikel, so we'll make sure we grab that one. We had our, a, a, um, a pretty good basic question here that I, I think is going to help some of our, our newer guys. He says, why does even low-dose TRT shut you down completely? You would think the level of shutdown uh, would be exogenous. The level of shutdown would be exogenous T-dose dependent. So... It's all down to the feedback mechanisms. So we have androgen and estrogen receptors in the hypothalamus and the pituitary. Um, they sense hormone levels, and as a result, they reduce GnRH um, output and they reduce FSH and LH output. If you run um, a high dose of testosterone, i.e. above what your natural ranges would be, then um, that shutdown response will be much faster as the body will immediately or very, very quickly, it usually takes about three to four weeks to be fair, uh, but it will very, very quickly reduce output in order to try and reduce the elevated levels of testosterone because it sees those levels as too high and it wants to try and get them down. So it does the only thing it can do, which is stop production of it. Yeah. With a TRT, so if you went from a normal functioning endocrine system and you went on to TRT, then... Um, that shutdown process would be much more gradual. But what would happen is the body would reduce GnRH output, which in turn would reduce FSH and LH output. It would do that. It wouldn't see a drop in, each, in testosterone levels. So it would reduce it more and more and more, and eventually you'd come to a full shutdown. Yeah. As it found that it wasn't changing test levels because you were managing your test levels by your injection. What a lot of people do, though, is go TRT post-cycle. So they're already shut down. Um, and so there's there's never going to be a call for hormones to be made because hormones never get low enough to do, to create that call. Yeah. Um, if you run a single-dose TRT protocol, this is not so much something that happens in America so much, but it is something that happens over here. So over here for TRT, if you were... Generally, see, the thing is, when you get TRT on the NHS in the UK... 
your levels are pretty much fucked. So you're going to have very little production anyway uh, before they'd even consider you for the treatment. But they tend to run for life for sustenance. They'll run one shot, 250 meters, once every three weeks. Do you guys do sustenance over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, we so, don't do that yeah. often. They've pushed more towards Nibido now. Um, oh, okay. And that's mainly to cut down on injection frequency than anything else. Yeah. Um, but if you if you did that protocol with someone who had normal functioning hormones, yeah, then what you would see is initially for quite a period of time you would see some FSH and LH recovery at the back end of the three weeks because your levels are low and your body's going to be trying to compensate. But eventually you will shut down as your body starts to realize it doesn't need to produce. You remember last week we talked about the, the protocol or the process of getting on TRT in the UK through the NHS. And mm -hmm. I, I had mentioned, you know, Florida. We had a few people that were like, yeah, Florida hooks you up, man. Check this out. This is one of our guys. He says, truth about Florida. They put me on a cycle, 250 milligrams, normal, then cycled me into 500 milligrams of test, 250 DECA, and 25 Anivar with six, two to six, wait, two? Two to six units of growth hormone. I like that range. They're like, you need two to six. That's a lot, dude. That's like a full-blown cycle. This is why the FDA over there is screaming about TRT and, and, and yeah. how they don't like it because of stuff like that. Yeah, no kidding. That's okay, crazy. You'd never get that over here. You don't even get that over here in private. <laughs> All right. Let's see what else we got here. Um, oh, that's that question. Okay. Well, I'm not sure if we saw this one yet. Nope. That's the one we just put up here. Yep. I just have like a random hat. I like this comment too. Christmas cabbage cracks me up every time. Just chilling there. You mentioned it's before the show, Dave, it's almost his it's birthday. His birthday soon for Christmas cabbage, yeah. We'll have to like celebrate, you know what I mean? Some sort of big uh, Christmas cabbage cabbage celebration. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Get your shit together here, Scott. Okay, here's that long question. Oh, my God. That's a lot of question. He says, I just switched from 250 test, 1,000 NPP, 75 milligrams of raloxifen to 500 test, 1,000 milligrams of P Primo and 75 raloxifen. I'm gynosensitive and I'm trying to run the safest compounds all around given my low HDL, high blood pressure, heart rate, AST, ALT. They are all usually very bad uh, when I run anything but test in Primo. I'm going to make a run at Masters Nationals, uh, powerlifting, not bodybuilding, and we'll be running this off and on about half the time, and the other half of the time, 150 milligrams of test. Since switching to Primo, as I mentioned, all of my measured health metrics are um, respectable. But if I use Valistarin, is Valist, Valist, Valistarin? What is that word? Val, Val, Valstartan. Valstartan. What is that? It's um, uh, blood pressure med. Okay. Um, with same as it's part of like the Telus Martin family. Oh, okay, okay. With uh, three NPP with the NPP cycle, I also have all good health metrics. Oh, that's a long question. The strength gains are much better with MPP. I also have torn muscles and feel better on PPP. Uh, with Primo, I don't have any side effects at all, and strength gains are two-thirds as good. Honestly, I hope to say MPP, uh, stay on it just to be healthy. If I use the Velostartan, um, but I think you'll tell me that Primo is healthier. I need a healthier option so I can minimize my stupidity and then he says battle creek what up battle creek is by me right so um it's a little bit difficult to comment without knowing what his actual numbers are for his hdl and, and his bp and his alt and his ast when on cycle i mean alt generally raises like fuck on anything anyway it's just so sensitive it's quick to go up so unless it's sort of hitting numbers above 200 i wouldn't really be overly concerned with what alt's doing 
Uh, obviously, BP, yes, that does need to be managed. Uh, but there are other ways of managing BP, i.e. things like cardio. Hmm. I know that's a dirty word for powerlifters, but if you're concerned about health, stick your cardio in. Um, but yes, I know from a powerlifting background, you know, nobody does cardio. Cardio is six reps. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are concerned about health and you're concerned about keeping BP low, then cardio will help. Um, Primo is by nature inoffensive. Um, it's a mild compound in, in both its impact on the body and, and both it, its its impact from a point of view of, of muscle and strength gain. You know, it's not going to light the world on fire. It's solid, it's steady, but at the end of the day, you're not going to be overly impressed with Primo when yeah. it comes to growth and strength. It can give you some good quality gains, and obviously at 1,000 milligrams, you are on a decent dose. Uh, but make for me, that is a lot of Primo. It's an expensive cycle, is that? Yeah. But... Uh, Mig for Mig, obviously, it, it's um, it's not going to match MPP when it comes to strength gains. Yeah. The the only thing that I'm curious about is he says he gets higher BP on um, MPP. I'd be curious to know where his estrogen sits mm. on both cycles. Is is his BP driven by his estrogen? Is the I mean, Primo does have an anti-estrogenic effect. It's not as pronounced or as clinical as Masteron, but I've seen enough bloods now to know that it does do it. Yeah. Uh, particularly at that dose. So is is the Primo lowering his estrogen lower than what he's experiencing on his test MPP, even though his test dose is lower? Uh, and if so, then he can negate the... BP by getting better control of his um, estrogen levels. HDL, well, he should be supporting the fuck out of that anyway, irrespective of his cycles. And to be honest, I see HDL lower more in high DHT cycles than I do in non-DHT cycles. I could see that, yeah. I could see that. So I see much lower HDA, HDL when people are running Primo and Maths than I do when people are running Test and Decker and stuff like that. HDL is one thing I've always had to try to work on. It's, 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 I think it's the one that everybody has to work on. It's the one that I consistently see affected. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's a case of just building up your HDL as high as you can when you're off or on a cruise so that it will stand the impacts of being lowered when you go into your cycle. Okay. Oh, um, I had another good one here. This was a question about keto. I would like to ask a question on the next drugs and stuff. What are your thoughts on bulking while on keto? I know Dave has got experience with keto. I would like to run 300 milligrams, I think he means, of Sustanon and 300 milligrams of Deca during that bulk. Thank you both and Mr. Cabbage for sharing your knowledge with us. Christmas Cabbage, what do you think? He thinks vegetables are good, but you shouldn't eat them because it's murder. He's 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 very anti-vegan, is Mr. Cabbage. Yeah, meat eater. Yeah, he's sick of people killing his friends. Um, you can grow on keto. I wouldn't say it's the most effective way. I, in regards to performance, and therefore, as a result, it can have an impact on training and therefore stimulus and therefore growth. But it's not impossible to grow on keto. I'd be curious as to why he wants to use keto. What what does he feel is the benefit there? You know, I was curious to that too, so I asked him, and I'm trying to pull the message up now because I can't remember what he said offhand. I just read it this morning. Um, Let's see here. Go to my messages. Here he is. Because here's my thought is you're limiting yourself from an entire macro that could be, you know, beneficial. He says, mm -hmm. uh, okay. Um, oh, damn. That's not him. Here it is. 
he says, reason I'm asking about keto is pretty simple. I have found it to be a perfect way to stay on track. I'm not craving much and my focus levels are much higher. Right. So basically you've got a trade off here. If you struggle with self-discipline when carbs are involved and then you end up with cravings and binging, then fine. You use keto to negate the fact that you don't have, and I don't mean this in a nasty sense at all, because I'm the first to admit I'm very weak willed when it comes around shit food. Um, but, uh, you know, if you don't have the, the, the determination or the willpower to avoid eating shit when you're in a carb-based diet, then and keto helps that for you, then I get that. Yeah. The trade-off the trade then is going to be you're not going to have the same level of performance on keto as you would do on a, on a carb-based diet. Yes. But then that depends on what level you perform. Hmm. So some people don't train particularly intensely. Um, and as a result, they will perform equally on keto as they would on a carb base. Hmm. But if you have a very high intensity approach to training, you will find that suffers. If you don't, you'll probably find there is very little impact on your training. And so therefore your progress will probably be very similar. Yeah. I, I had a couple things. I think number one, if he's been on keto while dieting, I will say this, it is tricky to add carbs back in. I think that when you go from having that, because there is that fact, like when you're on keto, everything's kind of cool. Everything's even. You don't get a lot of cravings. Mm -hmm. But damn, you have a cheat meal, and that next day you're like ferocious because you're you're starting to move your blood sugar around now, you know. And then once that blood sugar goes up, it's going to come down. And when it starts coming down, that's when those cravings start kicking in. And I think it can be harder to manage. And, and if he's on keto, he's going to be a lot more insulin sensitive probably now you know a lot more carb sensitive so i think that can be tricky and then the other thing i was going to mention is i, I can't remember john anderson i believe it was he's uh, he's a pro he's got these crazy traps like people people say that he's he's putting stuff in his traps they're like they're like taller than his head they're huge <laughs> crazy traps i've seen him compete at the chicago pro 2018 as a matter of fact and i had him on the show once i, I want to say that he started like just eating a lot of meat and i believe that he he grew through just increasing the protein and he was just like hammering the protein just a thought yeah well i mean your body will burn proteins so and you'll convert to you, carbs too that way. So yeah, you you will convert to glu gluconeogenesis, isn't it? When you start burning proteins, I always get mixed up with something. Yeah, like gluco gluconeogenesis. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Fuck you. Yeah. I don't know a lot of big words. Give me this one. All right. All right. I'll, you can have that one. Thank you. Uh, but the point is that if you if you push proteins too high, you will technically come out of keto. Uh, as you are now deep waters. Yeah. That sounds that's like some moving, meaningful novel, does that? Um, about looking into life and such like. Anyway, you know, if you start moving into burning protein as an energy source, you, you're effectively moving away from the keto anyway. Yeah. So you're, you're using proteins as your, your carb source, so to speak. Um, mm. So you would you would get performance from burning proteins rather than burning fats. Yeah, I mean maybe it would be another option to go. I know Scott used speaking of Scott Stevenson, he used he experimented with dieting on really high proteins. I want to say it was like six hundred grams or something like that a day. Oh. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Jose says. Uh, Training on keto is hard. Um, I couldn't get into a higher rep range. I could do five reps easy. Then the sixth rep wouldn't move like hitting a wall. It, it does affect performance, like you said, for sure, Dave. I, I found more if I went medium weight, high rep, I was okay. But if I went heavy, yeah. I would die. I would die. I would just die on my feet. It just wasn't there. <laughs> That was Lucas's question. He says, thanks. Um, no okay. What was that question from Mikel? 
Because he posted so Miguel, a few. He's posted a lot, actually, today. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, going back to triceps, he was asking about close grip bench from pins and make them explosive. Okay. So I wasn't going to particularly touch on the movement. Uh, close grip bench, if done correctly, can be very heavy, you know, very tri bias. Yeah. It was more, I wanted to look at um, an explosive rep. Okay. So I'm not a fan of explosive reps, uh, and I'll, I will go through the rationale behind this. So powerlifters use explosive reps. They use explosive reps for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is that when you use an explosive rep, it shifts the load. So as you use an explosive movement, the load does not stay in the muscle. It dissipates throughout everything connected. And the reason they do explosive reps is because they are wanting to throw as much as the load they're moving into their skeletal frame. You're talking about like creating a momentum. Yeah, so then for the muscle has an initial loading, but then the muscle does less work overall. Scott would so call that like things, a central nervous system that you're using more than, you know, yeah. than more than the muscle. Yeah. So what a palace will do is they'll load muscles on the negative part and then use that stored kinetic energy to propel the, the weight back up on the positive. So I'm not a big fan of explosive movements because I feel it can very often move load away from the target muscle. But there is a version of an explosive rep that is very, very good. Okay. So you start the movement slow. You do the first inch, two inches slow. That way, everything is engaged. The muscle yes. is engaged. And then you accelerate the rep. Try them. Uh, they will transform your set. David Smith. He suggested the way he put it and the way that I've explained it since he explained it to me this way. He said, it's kind of like, imagine if you're driving with your grandmother in the car, you can still drive fast, but you don't just slam your foot to the floor or your, her head will get jerked back, but you can take off fast. You just ease your foot on the pedal. And as you are accelerating, you can eventually bury the pedal without whipping her head back. And that's kind of... That's kind of what you're trying to do. Now, not letting the tension come out of the muscle all the way up, you know? Uh-oh. I think I lost Dave for a minute, guys. I would say this is probably a better car analogy. Stand at the line and put your foot flat to the floor. You'll spin you. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I lost you for a minute. Oh, I lost Dave really big time for more than a minute now. He's gone. Dave, Dave, he gone. He gone. We're just getting good, too. Oh, there he is. Let's see. You're back, and you're clearer than ever. I am. So, as I was saying, uh, another analogy using the car is if you're stationary and you put your foot flat to the floor, you'll spin your wheels. Yes, that's good. Yeah. But if, but if you feather that gas on acceleration, you'll gain traction and you'll actually move faster. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's like keeping that traction. It's exactly what it's like. Mm. Uh, all right, I've got one more, and then we'll hope that the internet connection stays stable for another two minutes. This is uh, from one of our long time, one of our biggest listeners, Matt. And he says, uh, question for the next episode. Um, any of you three, <laughs> have any of you three, <laughs> <laughs> heard of a replacement dose of T3 uh, 25 micrograms causing acne in females and you know what I did Dave I I used a lifeline on this one and I talked to Victoria Felker I thought why don't we get why don't we get Victoria in on this and I have notes on my post-it notes here she says that there's a couple things that could be going on she said it could just be dryness because it, it, with with the accelerated, you know, thyroid that you will create more dehydration. So if you were to get, say, depending on the type of acne, if it were like acne on your cheeks that isn't coming to a head, it might have to do more with dryness. It could also have an effect on hormones and inflammation and that if she's getting more of a cyst type acne, 
that it could be that. She also said it could be the filler in the drug. She's experienced that with people, saying that people who are on thyroid hormones can be extra sensitive to the particular brand that they're using. Um, and she said if, if the girl is not splitting her dose, that splitting the dose will create um, less stress. And hormonally, she said what it does is there can be changes in SHBG binding. So that's that's that. So there you go. Because yeah. I didn't have a clue. Yeah, <laughs> just throwing it out there. <coughs> Any uh, ETA? Right. Well, my I, internet has gone to shit again. Yeah. Any ETA on your uh, on your technician to come out and fix your heater? No, I probably won't hear from him until tonight. Bug. You guys have a wood burning fireplace yeah, or anything no. like that? Nope. Well, guys, if you want to help Dave get his heat turned back on, you can sign up for Send some coaching. Money. Send money. <laughs> you can sign up for some coaching. You can go over to crosslands.org.uk. You can get a hold of Dave over there. Uh, also, check out Eval. And, and and I did have to ask, do you do any kind of personal training? Uh, uh, very, very rarely. Okay, so don't ask Dave about personal training if you're in the UK. Oh, uh, I'll do it, but oh. it's going to cost you a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can help Dave keep his heat on. And, of course, check out our great sponsors, guys, truenutrition.com. Uh, use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca. And uh, thank you to everybody who's been supporting us on Patreon. Thank you to everybody who's watching us here. And especially a big thanks to Christmas Cabbage. Dave Crossland, good luck with the heat, man. Cheers, mate. Speak to you later now.